Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am, but Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and this is the podcast where my guest tells me the five things from their life, anything, no matter how small or insignificant it may seem to others, that they treasure and would like to keep safe in a time capsule. In fact, they pick four things that they cherish, but one thing that they would be glad to be rid of. We then chat about these things. Chatting with me in this episode is the actor Romola Gary, without doubt one of this country's finest actors. Her list of credits is more than impressive. She has twice been nominated for a Golden Globe Award as Best Actress for playing Emma in the miniseries Emma and for her performance in The Hour. She was nominated for Best Actress by BAFTA for The Crimson Petal and the White and an Evening Standard Award for Best Actress for her role in the film Atonement with Kira Knightley and James McAvoy. She won the London Film Critics Circle Award for Best Supporting Actress for the film Inside I'm Dancing. I could go on. In fact, I will. She's played major roles in The Miniaturist, Churchill's Secret with Michael Gambon, Vanity Fair with Reese Witherspoon, Kenneth Branagh's As You Like It, Amazing Grace with Benedict Cumberbatch, Suffragette, The Other Man with Liam Neeson and Antonio Banderas, Glorious 39 with Eddie Redmayne, The Last Days on Mars, and the film One Day with Anne Hathaway. And that's just a sample of the things she's been in. Romola's stage performances include Cordelia in King Lear and Nina in The Seagull at the RSC, Mash in Three Sisters at the Lyric Hammersmith, Becky in The Village Bike at the Royal Court, Isabella in Measure for Measure at the Young Vic, Sarah Churchill in Queen Anne at the Theatre Royal Haymarket, London, and the title role in The Writer at the Almeida. She wrote and directed the films Scrubber and Amulet. Not bad, really. So, here is the biggest talent and the smallest ego in British acting, Romola Gary. Now, I have to warn you, I've never really done a chat show and I've been interviewed for work a lot, but I've not really ever done anything like this. No, but then I've had conversations with you and so I have complete confidence in you. <laughs> I'll think of things to say. <laughs> You've got plenty to say. And do you know what, Rom? You may not know this. Do you know you did a sort of a, uh, during the day once when we were at the theatre, you did a talk to young people. Oh, God. And I was like, I don't know. I have no idea. You all seem great. <laughs> yeah, yeah that thing but I snuck in I sat in a little at the back and watched it I thought it was really great and there was something you said in that interview that has really stuck with me in fact I've given it as advice to young actors ever since and it was that when you go for an audition you try to make yourself feel as if you're auditioning them 
that in fact you walk into the room thinking, okay, do I want to do this? Do I want to work with these people? Worst advice you could possibly give any actor. No, I think it's brilliant. So often, I think those people are saying, okay, here's another one, you know, bring them in. And everybody's all sort of over keen and jolly and very friendly, rather than saying, so how would you direct this? Yeah. How are you going to make it better? Yeah. Yeah. It's really stuck with me that. I thought it was a powerful thing. Oh, thanks, man. That's kind of you. I do slightly worry that because I didn't go to drama school and I really don't really understand what that's like or anything. I do sometimes walk around and I afterwards I've, I do things like that and I go went out to go and get my sandwich and I went, have I just lost 500 people at <laughs> because they're all going into interviews going well how are you going to do it (laughs) (laughs) why should i show you my acting (laughs) i can act just accept it all right yes take my word for it i think you'll find that's enough (laughs) (laughs) yep possibly well there we are just thought i'd let you know that in case i never get the chance to tell you that i thought that was uh, kind man it was lovely okay good so um you're going to put five things into a time capsule. Yes. Let's find out what they are. What's number one? So um, I have to say, I did find this very challenging because I realised after about an hour of thinking and writing things down that everything that I'd written down was just food, was just <laughs> meals in different restaurants. Very specific <laughs> things from different restaurants and I thought that's a different podcast that's off menu I think it's called off menu that's right um but I managed to condense all of my food obsession down to one thing Mm -hmm. which is um a cream tea at the fat apples cafe which is a little kind of cafe which is uh little wooden tables and chairs underneath these apple trees in a place called Portalo in in Cornwall it's the best cream tea in England, and I would fight to the death anyone who suggested otherwise. Or <laughs> <laughs> tried to take it away from you. Or tried to take it away from I have been known, actually, to bite down hard into the hand of anyone trying to take one of my scones. <laughs> I mean, I, I get into a sort of state of rapture when I'm there, because it's somewhere I you only ever go once a year, obviously, in the summertime when you're on your holes, and then I can't really eat it in anything other than total silence like a sort of monk (laughs) and it has been difficult since you know I've had children because I'm sort of sometimes expected to kind of interact or stop them running into the road or all the rest of it but I really just can't really do that when I'm eating a cream tea Uh, excuse me your your children are going over the cliff will you shut up do you mind sorry I've only eaten one scone (laughs) yeah uh whereabouts in Cornwall is it it's in in the lizard sort of unattractively named the lizard (laughs) which is not a part of Cornwall I ever went to as a child or I don't you know I never knew it at all until a few years ago and it feels a bit like a secret because you know I think fewer people go to that part of Cornwall more people go to like St Ives and when I was a kid we never went to the same place on holiday we always sort of went somewhere new we'd go to Devon one year and then Wales the next year and then the Lake District and I think I've realized as an adult that I'm I I like to return to the same place on holiday I really like that feeling of continuity which I didn't have when I was growing up. So I've become slightly obsessed with going back to this part of Cornwall and going back to the same places and doing the same things now that I've got kids. And then, of course, they'll grow up and they'll say, we were trapped in this awful cycle where we always had to go to the same place. <laughs> they'll be desperately like trying to do different things every year because you, yeah, you're reacting against your own childhood holidays all the time. It's one of the arguments for not buying a holiday home, isn't it? That you get to experience other places. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there's something else that's fun, a bit weird about buying a holiday home, I always think, is that, you know, is it, is it relaxing to go somewhere and be going like the tap's gone under the sink? (laughs) You know, all of the things that you have to worry about in your own house where every day you wake up and something's broken that you can't fix, you know, that you're going and doing that on holiday. So I don't really want to buy And I mean, not that we could buy a second home, but like, I wouldn't, I'm not sure I'd be really attracted to that either, but I just do like the fact that you are, you know, when you go to the beach, like there's this nice place called Coverack there and you go to the beach and you get your fish and chips from the same place. Like there's a van that comes and you get your fish and chips from the van and you know it's going to come on a Tuesday. And, mm. you know, there's something about that, which I think it's part, having a landscape of your childhood that feels kind of familiar to you is very 
attractive to me now. Some people are worried about repeating things, aren't they? That actually, that it'll spoil it. You sort of think, well, if I go back, it won't be as good. I think there is that, but maybe you're always chasing. Do you know what I mean? Like every time you go back, you think, well, maybe it was better last summer, but then you have to kind of go back to sort of correct it. I don't know, it is it you become addicted to the idea of the perfect experience in that place, like the ideal evening where the weather was perfect and you ate the best fish and chips you've ever had sitting with your feet in the sea and you, you know, and because I'm so obsessed with food as well, all of these things are like connected to a very specific kind of going to a specific place and eating the ice cream that you get at Ross Killies and having the chips from the chip van. And like, mm. you know, really, I'm just sort of forcing my family to kind of follow me around on my kind of, <laughs> my kind of greedy tour of, of Cornwall, <laughs> eating my way through the island. <laughs> <laughs> the culinary experience of my childhood. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean, though. Although my wife's parents lived in France, so we always went back to the same place because it was so convenient. It was daft in a way, not to go there. They had, they lived in the countryside, in the middle of France. It was idyllic. Great big garden. It's crazy. Why why spend a fortune on going on holiday when you can just drive there? So we did. Yeah. And actually the repetition of those holidays was never the same. So every time you went, it was a new experience. Because in a way, the things you do with your children change as they get older. So by the time your children are teenagers, they're thinking, well, could we find a really nice restaurant? What I'm saying to you, Rom, is that really I think they're going to turn into just the people you want to go on holiday with by the time they become teenagers. In 20 years, yeah. they'll be just the they'll... people I want to go on holiday with. <laughs> they'll be looking for the michelin style restaurant. Yeah. I think what appeals to me as well, like you say, is when you go to the same places every year, as your children get older, you have a different experience in the same place you know and I, can't, I sort of can't wait to be walking down the country lane with a torch trying to like dig teenagers out of a bush you know what I mean like trying to pull a teenager out of the water on the beach because they've drunk a whole bottle of Zambuca like I'm quite looking forward to that part of it as well and then like you say being able to like actually go out for a meal in a restaurant with them without having to staple them to the table and yeah. those sorts of things. And eventually then hopefully they'll have their own kids and then you yes. you do it all over again. Yeah, I'm excited. Lovely. Well, I suppose before I leave this subject, though, I should go through the details of your cream tea because I know that people are specific about these things. Yeah, as they should uh, be. As they should be. Oh, correct. Well, I'll let you describe the order in which you make your cream tea? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's justifiably a fraught subject because I think really it's a lot about your relationship with sugar. And like that for me is sort of the most important part of life. And um, I always put the jam on top mm -hmm. because I think you want to build a good base to put the maximum amount of jam on. Like if you put the jam on the bottom and then you cover it with cream it's like you're not going to get enough of it I worry I worry <laughs> that you're not going to have enough jam and the scones at the fat apple are a decent they're a decent size you know so you've got a good base but the cream is just the most amazing clotted cream you could possibly imagine just like pure kind of richness mm. and so the jam has to punch through that quite hard so I think you've got to put it on the top so that you can really see how much you've got and kind of build up the layers of the jam, maybe into almost like a point <laughs> rather than just having something flat. Very good. So the, the cream is acting like a sort of a cement. Yes, it's exactly. It's a layering yeah. device. Yes. And clearly you don't put the other half of the scone back on top. No, because I'm not an animal. Yeah, well, <laughs> I don't why would you? No, also the thing is because you get two scones, you can cut them both in half and then you end up with four. <laughs> it's even better if you're unbelievably greedy. Um, I've had many, many cream teas in my life. I don't know what they do there, but it's, the, I mean, I think the jam is homemade. You know, it's just, it's the best. And I think often you get to a stage where you think, you know, there's no hope in England. There's no hope for any of us. Our food culture is like permanently broken. You know, everything you eat everywhere is just disgusting or you're in mm. a fancy restaurant. Do you know what I mean? And there's like nothing in between. And and then you realise that there's actually everywhere you go in England, there's someone somewhere making like really, really beautiful food with great kind of love mm. and care and attention. And that I always find that very 
very heartwarming. Well, I think it's a lovely idea. I'd love to sit under those apple trees in the orchard. Let's go, Michael. Let's Let's go go now. Okay, we'll stop recording. I'll be round in a minute. (laughs) Yeah, and at that stage, the podcast ended. (laughs) That's it. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for listening. (laughs) Oh, brilliant. We do need to take a break. I'm starving. Yeah, let's have lunch. (laughs) Okay, we're going to put that into the time capsule. What a lovely thing to start with. So what's number two? So number two is not something I think I would have chosen had it not been because of the lockdown and everything. Um, so there's this club night called Guilty Pleasures that they used to do at, at Coco, the old Camden Palais. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just cheese, right? It's wedding music. But often people would like dress up. And I mean, I just, um, I'm like the least cool person in the world. You know, I was never into like cool music or like clubbing when I was younger. The few times I, you know, I went to nightclubs when I was a teenager or a young person, I'd often bring a book, you know, because I thought I might need half an hour in the loo at some stage in the evening to just take a minute and like read. And I'd often sit in the toilet at a nightclub for like half an hour and read because I was bored, you know, because you can't talk to anybody so in my tw- sort of my early 20s, I just discovered this night out and I was like, no, this is more like it. This this I can do. It's ABBA. You can wear a kind of sparkly leotard. It's pure <laughs> fun. There's, you know, there's a glitter cannon. It was just a really, really fun night. And I think when I was in lockdown and everything in my life just be- became about like, you know, homeschooling the kids, not seeing my friends I just longed to be in a nightclub in a way that I never have in my life. But being in a crowd, really, that's what I kind of longed for. The thought of just being in a crowd of people and dancing, like dancing to Chaka Khan or something, was all I could think (laughs) about all day. I just... It's just extraordinary how a change in circumstance can make you long for something that you never thought would be important. No. <laughs> but yeah, I think that, that I'd choose guilty pleasures. I would recommend Sophie Ellis Bexter. She does a fantastic disco in her house with mirror balls and she dresses up in glitter clothes and all her children dance around. We tried to do that, but I get outvoted a lot on the songs, you know, and we end up dancing to a lot of... Um, the kids got really into that song, What Is Love by Hadaway. Mm-hmm. It's not one of my, it's not one of my favourites. <laughs> and also they do tend to like to play things on a loop. What is love, baby? Don't I mean just on a loop. Mm-hmm. I had, I mean, in many ways, what could be described as an incredibly privileged lockdown. But I would argue with someone that listening to Hadaway's What is Love three or four times a day for three months, you lose a lot of your position of privilege when you're undergoing that kind of aural onslaught. (laughs) (laughs) And which films do they make you watch over and over? Well, I suppose at the moment they're really, really into the sort of reboot of Trolls. Mm -hmm. I think with films, you know, we because I'm a sort of, Puritan, a horrible Puritan, and I try and make them watch improving children's films, Japanese art, you know, My Neighbour Totoro, and they're like, this is creepy and weird. You've just made me spit my coffee, I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I'm awful. I'm always trying to read traumatic books to them. I have a constant need to be improving them all the time. Yes, Anna Karenina, goodness (laughs) sake, children. I don't, you know, contrary to, I suppose, the guilty pleasures thing, a lot of the time I don't feel like anything that you're doing that's not... I definitely grew up in a household where you have to be improving yourself all the time. You know, I guess, well, my dad's Jewish, you know, is that slightly kind of fraught mm. relationship with the world. And, you know, my husband is has a kind of very natural capacity for fun. And, you know, for him, you should really just let the children watch what they want to watch <laughs> rather than making them watch Newsnight because there's a special on about child trafficking. Yes, I'm going to take you back, children. We're going to start with The Ascent of Man with yes. Professor Bronowski. Yeah. I mean, I remember, like, buying DVDs of, like, Russian films made for children in the 70s and trying to make my daughter watch that and, you know, I mean, just re- a child cruelty, really. <laughs> so you're either completely ignoring them while you eat, yeah. forcing them to do something that they hate. 
lovely mother. Exactly. But I think they've worked on me. The family are working on me and I'm being... Um, Trolls is quite a good film, actually, because the central character, Poppy, is sort of ludicrously positive and optimistic. Yes. And then Branch, who is the sort of grumpy troll, who, you know, finds it harder to go along with the kind of relentless positivity. I am like that. I am Branch. <laughs> so we have a kind of narrative. I feel comfortable that the kids now have a narrative for, like, the kind of personality that I have and why I can find it hard sometimes to just kind of let everybody have a nice time mm. and not be learning something. <laughs> <laughs> when we first worked together, I was impressed by the fact that every time we broke from filming, you would start reading some great big Russian tome. Was I doing my degree? Was I doing my open university degree? Which took years. Right. And that often I was doing on set. And I had these kinds of embarrassing, like big textbooks that I were. Yes. And, you know, I had to kind of get through it while, because it was, you know, I was working at the same time as like a part time course, you know. So I was often mm. was writing essays and stuff at work, which made me look very studious. But actually, you know, I was always a pretty terrible student. Like, academically, I was really nothing at all. Um, but I think maybe that can feed into my anxiety about improving my children because I wasn't a particularly good student myself. So you can sort of bust their balls a bit because you're like, well, I, you know, if only I had paid attention, then I'd know how to spell February, which I still can't spell. <laughs> well, my children have had two different approaches, really. One has done the, we must keep up the academic side of life. And my son completely just let his children, okay, what do you want to do? Where should we go? I think both of those sound good, but I mean, really what I think what my children benefited from was being locked in a house with a middle-aged woman going through a sort of severe personal crisis mm -hmm. and taking that out on them yeah. a lot. So that's a different kind of learning experience. It's, it's a life lesson, isn't it? it Another life lesson, yeah. dealing with the insane... <laughs> <laughs> I know. I mean, I would love, I would absolutely have loved to have been all elven and take them out into woodland and spent hours just experiencing the majesty and wonder of the natural world. But we live in Shepherd's Bush. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, there was that whole period of time where you could only go out for an hour a day. Yes. And we don't even live like that close to a green space, you know? So you're spending 20 minutes driving to the river. 15 minutes going, run, run <laughs> to the children, run around the park, <laughs> sort of chasing them to try and get them to have some exercise mm -hmm. and then driving back. It didn't lend itself to that. I mean, what, what I do think was sort of good about it in a way was that I was able to, um, yeah, I suppose sort of come to terms with my flaws as a parent. I did find it really hard. I found it really hard to kind of, you know, just freaking relax you know, and just do nothing, which, yeah, it's not, it's not something I'd, I'd done in my life for a really long time, I suppose. And um, it was good for that because I think, you you know, I have walked away from it thinking, do you know what? It is actually okay for people to go on a walk and for us not to be looking up the Latin names of the trees. You don't have to do <laughs> that. You know? I've gone the opposite way. Uh, I am an extremely lazy man. I can sit around and waste an entire day doing nothing and feel fine about it. Well, that's good. Well, during lockdown, I went the opposite way. I had to be doing something. I've got to do something. I've got to get on with something. What did you do? Well, I did this podcast <laughs> endlessly. I got other people to talk about what they were doing. Yes, anybody, postman would knock on the door. Okay, so what five things would you put into a time capsule? <laughs> There we are. Well, I've, I'm going to set up the most fantastic, sparkly, glitter cannon disco for you. Please do. I want girls just want to have fun, followed by Dancing <laughs> Queen, followed yes. by Raspberry Beret. I want wedding music and I want it now and very soon, please. Okay. Da, 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 da. It's fun to stay at the... <laughs> Yeah, I'm with you, Michael. We're there. We're there in we, our head. We know where it is. All right, that's lovely. That's inside the time capsule. What's next? We're going to take a small break here for, well, either some adverts or a slight pause before I say welcome back. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back. Yeah, a much funnier phrase if there wasn't an advert. Anyway, let's get back to Romola and find out what else she would like to put in her time capsule. So uh, the next thing I'd like to choose is wild swimming. I got given a book about 10 years ago or so. Somebody yeah. gave it to me for Christmas. And I didn't really know that that was something that people did with swimming in rivers. Sounded a bit disgusting. <laughs> <you know? laughs> um, but I'd always loved swimming. I loathe all forms of exercise <laughs> and um, have been I'm physically an unbelievably weak and lazy person. Um, but I like swimming. It's pleasurable. Mm. But, you know, I didn't grow up. Uh, I was never taken swimming in a river when I was growing up. I mean, maybe maybe we went to the Lake District a few times, but it was freezing. You know, I don't think you got in the water. So <laughs> as I got older, I'd been on holiday a few times in the Mediterranean, which we never did when we were kids. And I sort of swam in the sea there and had, you know, developed this kind of real love for swimming in the sea. Mm. So I got given this book and I started just going to places before I had kids just going on my own, going to places to swim in rivers and things. Uh, there's one place I really like, which is quite close to London. It's quite easy to get to called Hurley Lock, which is just this side of Henley-on-Thames. Right. There's like a river beach there. So it's kind uh, of very easy to get, get into the water. And then I took a holiday and I went swimming in Lewis and Harris in the Hebrides. Mm. Um, which is, you know, it's wetsuit swimming, but it was so beautiful. I remember swimming out once on the Isle of Harris, swimming out into the sea and looking back at these pure white sand beaches and the kind of rock formations there. And I actually cried. <laughs> I wasn't on drugs. I was just kind of completely overawed by the beauty of the natural world and actually by the beauty of the island mm. that we live on and the islands that surround it. Mm. And I still kind of get a kind of sense of that feeling when I get into a river. I love the Thames. I love swimming in the Thames. If you go up around Oxford or the Cam, Cambridge, you know, my sister lives in Cambridge, so I swim up there sometimes with her. Mm -hmm. With another person as well. If you just say we're just going to do a little stretch of the river, you know, before lunch or something, it's just so wonderful. I have recently yeah. discovered that England's rivers are unbelievably polluted. <laughs> so there's also that element of risk as well. Yes. You could die yeah. of dysentery, but I do, um, yeah, I get a huge amount of kind of soul kind of connection out of it. And I don't go to church. I'm not sort of religious in any way. But I think I think if I did believe in God, like I'm always the kind of person where I think if I'd, if I lived, at, you know, in the 1850s, then I'd be the kind of woman who was obsessed with God. You know, I have a very sort of um, extreme dogmatic personality. So I pour all of that potential for kind of religious devotion, I think, into things like when I'm in a river wild swimming and it's a beautiful morning and there's mist on the river. And mm. yeah, I love that. Yes. I've only done it in hot climates, I have to say. I've swum in rivers in Italy. Oh, amazing. So when it's really, really warm during the day in the summer oh. and the water is coming down off the mountain. An alpine oh, river. It cascades over rocks and then you find these pools, which are freezing, but it's so warm that it's it's wonderful. And it's, of course, it's very clear and very clean. So, I mean, didn't David Williams swim down the Thames and basically have to have his stomach pumped every day? <laughs> yes. Yeah, not a great advert for... I mean, I have to say I've never got sick. I've done it. 
a lot and I've I've never got ill, not once. And, you know, my kid, I take the kids mm-hmm. and, you know, we're kind of careful. I say, like, don't, <laughs> don't drink it. Don't, don't get a cup. You know? Yeah. <laughs> but it's, um, you know, I've never got ill. But I do, I mean, I, I was talking to my friend who's a GP the other day and we were talking about this kind of movement to try and prescribe almost like experiences to people who are struggling with their mental or physical health, you know, like cycling. They were saying actually prescribing going for a ride in a park with a, with a bike. And, uh, you know, and I was just thinking like, when I feel down, when I've had times in my life that I've found really challenging, I have been genuinely absolutely aided by the natural world and by the experiences it kind of it offers you. And I think it is sort of hard to take a human being and it's your relationship with beauty, natural beauty, kind of completely out of the human being. I just don't think you can kind of completely remove it. And so, you know, when you live in a city, I'm so grateful for the people who made our parks, you know, all those Victorians when you think, oh, I'm, you know, as awful as many of them were, you know, they built green spaces into the city that I live in. And there are so many cities in the world where people don't see a tree or, you know, and some of those parks are extraordinary, aren't they? I mean, I know to a large extent they were put there so that other rich people could go through in their carriages, yes. but they are fabulous, aren't they? And you just come around a corner and think, My word, this land must be worth a lot of money. Yeah. You know, in lockdown, you know, we went to Hyde Park a couple of times because it's one of the sort of few that we can get to. And you know, I was walking there and I was thinking, This is real estate that somebody chose to make for the benefit of people who need green space mm. and clean air. And it's an amazing place. You go in, it's free. I know. And I feel that way about the rivers now as well. And I'm forever signing petitions online to try and kind of keep them clean. And, mm. you know, actually I'd love it if, you know, London kids could be, I think it would be amazing if they could be taken in buses down to places to swim in the river, yes. you know. Yes. I mean, I grew up in the country um, in a very kind of rural place in Wiltshire, but I pretty much hated it. <laughs> I think, you know, my memory was, I don't know whether there was any kind of meteorological evidence for this, but my memory is that it just rained consistently from about <laughs> 1988 to 2000. I don't think that can be true. Um, I, I know, I'll, I'll look it up, but it may be true. <laughs> Never know. You know, and we lived, you know, long way from where we went to school and it was intensely lonely, you know, and mm. very, my my elder siblings would go away to school and we'd be left, you know. and the, So I saw all the kind of negatives of the countryside, but now, of course, I'm a grown-up and I have kids. I, I look back and I think, well, actually, I did kind of wander around in woods and, and fields and was given a, a sense of kind of, like I just sort of took for granted how beautiful it was, you know, mm-hmm. and we'd, we'd go and dam rivers and catch fish and things like that um, and go yes. camping and stuff. But at the time, I loathed it, which I think is probably healthy because I think children probably shouldn't <laughs> shouldn't spend too much time looking at the magister and grandeur of the of the countryside um, just idolising their own youth. Yeah, no, exactly. They want to get back as quickly yeah. as possible so they can watch Trolls. <laughs> <laughs> I ended up being, you know, a really odd child because I just didn't spend enough time with other with other people, I think. Mm. You know, no one goes for a walk. Like, why would you want to go for a walk if you live in the countryside? You have, mm. Every time you look out the window, you have to see those goddamn trees, you know? Like, <laughs> you're desperately trying to get away from the countryside, you know? And, of course, and also the idea the idea of going for a swim in the river. Yeah. A bit mad. Oh, it's disgusting. Yeah. I mean, if you live in the countryside, you know for a fact that the pig farm is, like, emptying all the shit into the river <laughs> a mile upstream. Like, you actually know that. If you don't live around there, you can swim in kind of blissful ignorance of the unbelievable filth <laughs> that you're following in. <laughs> Okay, for you, I will put wild swimming into the time capsule. Lovely. Okay, we've got two left. Okay, so I wrestled with this one a bit because I didn't know quite how to um, describe it. But I I do, I want to put podcasts into the time capsule, I think. Um, I absolutely love podcasts. I think because I I, I was listening to the show that you did with Ellie White and she Mm. was talking about YouTube. Yes. <laughs> and I really loved that episode and I thought she, it was really funny and, and 
And I thought, what's my equivalent of that? What's the thing that I waste my time with that just brings me loads of pleasure? And it's not the internet, really. It's it's um, it's podcasts. I listen to like hundreds of podcasts. Now I listen to your podcast, which I love. Uh, this one will now probably ruin it for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I have this sort of strange thing where, because I was saying I hate exercise, and now I kind of... You know, just health. I sort of have to kind of jog around the park like two or three times a week. But I can't... I mean, the idea of kind of getting up any speed is like ludicrous. I'm the slowest jogger in the world. But um, I realised that if I listen to like the New York Times podcast or The Economist or The Guardian Daily or something like that or This American Life or Radio Lab, you know, a great podcast or Adam Buxton or whatever it is, that time will slightly pass in a way that takes away the kind of horrifying feeling of physical exertion, which I (laughs) normally kind of find very hard to get past. And, um, yeah, it just gives me, like, a huge amount of pleasure. I feel like I'm, like, learning all the time in a way that isn't boring I love to read but you know it's hard you know particularly now I've got children and Mm -hmm. like I'm trying to read this book The Age of Surveillance Capitalism sorry I've just picked it up and showed it to Michael on the screen it's like 700 pages long it's really interesting and I'm reading it about three lines every night before I (laughs) sleep you know but with podcasts I just feel like there's somebody there they're having an mm. interesting conversation and you're, you feel sort of less alone, as particularly this year in the way that the world was. Um, I just get so much out of them. And I think it's yeah. just a golden era, it's a golden era of radio, you know. I mean, I always used to listen to the radio, you know, before we could uh, listen on the internet and stuff. But, you, you know, the idea of being able to select your programme, you'd be like, oh, it's Gardner's Question Time. I can't, <laughs> I can't get around it. You know, it was always, every time I turned on Radio 4, it was always Gardener's Question Time with the Archers, always, you know. Um, and now we're able to kind of pick and choose. I mean, I agree. I used to listen to Radio 4 all the time. And as far as I was concerned, there was too much news. Too much news, yeah. I, well, you just told me this almost under an hour yeah. ago. <laughs> You're telling me again. If you thought it was too much news 15 years ago, imagine yes. living through the age of Brexit and coronavirus. Oh. <laughs> on. Oh. Yeah. Well, the wonderful thing, of course, is that there is such a variety of podcasts. Oh, yeah. It's extraordinary, isn't it? You can have incredibly serious and very academic podcasts and then completely mad, just fun. Yeah, guys talking about tools. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's it's just extraordinary. You know, when, when you go on the kind of search engine and you're looking through all the things you could be listening to, you know, three doctors talking about advances in keyhole surgery and you think well Mm -hmm. I mean that might be interesting (laughs) you know and then quite often you kind of start listening and you think actually this is is just amazing yes and without any of the I mean television has always got to be popular hasn't it Mm. I've got to have the maximum number of people watching it and a podcast doesn't have to do that it can be really it can be really specialist it can really understand it's kind of it's kind of audience. And it's a strange thing, isn't it, that actually so many, well, certainly, for example, the BBC, they have this emphasis on needing to be balanced. Mm. I'll balance my life. Yeah. I'm aware of when I'm just listening to one point of view. Yeah, yeah. It's also difficult if balance is a a person who's totally sane talking to somebody who's completely mad. You know, you think, Mm. I'm not sure that's a balance I need, is it? No. They went through a whole stage of putting climate change deniers on to give a, a, oh, yeah. a, a balanced view, didn't they? And you sort yes. of think, for those of us who are experiencing the seasonal changes in our country at the moment and are able to just glance out of the window and see them, <laughs> I think you, you think, I'm not really sure I need a balanced view of this. Or why don't you just have two people who feel differently about how to tackle climate change rather than somebody saying there's climate change and then somebody else saying there isn't climate change, bananas, marshmallows, crazy, 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 I'm a lunatic, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. I don't really need don't really need your detailed rundown of the whatever kind of mental health crisis you're having, you know? No. The other side of it is you're never going to stop people from pursuing the thing that they actually already believe in. Some people yeah. like to broaden their viewpoints and other people like to make it more narrow in a way. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, that's the kind of been the amazing achievement of of the time that we've lived through. F- for me, is learning how um, 
closed and cyclical all of our thinking is you know I mean it's been an amazing kind of discovery hasn't it you know with the polarization Mm. of thought and the way that's been exacerbated by the internet to a certain extent the culture wars and all the rest of it that you think you believe that everything that you think is an entirely original thought that you've come to uh, unaided you know and of course you realize that it's not it's completely kind of dictated by what external influences you're having what social groups you belong to and then the more Mm. evidence that you're given that it might be wrong rather than convincing you that it might be wrong in fact just pushes you more and more and more into the same kind of patterns of thought you can't really it's so hard how hard it is to challenge people's opinions and views yes we've had all sorts of interesting conversations haven't we this year about black lives matter and and brexit and now how to deal with the pandemic and all of those issues kind of overlapping each other and i do not feel like i've had i would say one percent impact on a single person that i've talked to you know and i would say that they would have even less than one percent impact on my (laughs) (laughs) that will show them yeah well yes i mean it is difficult because perhaps we should just be trying to put the evidence out there and let people find it if they can and that is in a way what podcasts do people will just say the things they want and people will find it if they need it you know i do remember at the last election talking to a, a neighbor and i said have you voted and she said no i don't know i'm not sure which one to vote for and i said well you know what do you think we should be doing and she said i don't know i just don't i tell you the one that i quite like it's, it's the green one. And I went, the Green Party. She went, no, Sinn Féin. <laughs> yeah. I live in Tunbridge Wells. Yeah. Are they on the ticket in Tunbridge Wells? No. Nope. No. Nope. <laughs> well, there we are. I so. think actually that's part of the thing I really love about podcasts is that you're quite often just listening to people having a conversation, a respectful conversation. And when mm-hmm. do you hear that nowadays? I mean, honestly, like you read old plays, you know, Oscar Wilde plays or whatever, and people disagree about politics in them. And it's like they're able to disagree yes. and move on to another topic of conversation. And honestly, <laughs> that feels like that's gone. We've lost the capacity to maintain our political kind of differences and be respectful to each other. And I do think that the opportunity for people to talk to each other and do so in a kind of light, good-humoured way, like the sound of people having a conversation and enjoying each other's conversation is something I think... Yeah, most people probably remember fondly. (laughs) Yes. I mean, in a way, that respect uh, that these people have come to these conclusions not through stupidity, necessarily, but through a different experience of the world and and that it may have led them to have a different viewpoint to you or from you. Yeah, but, I mean, I read a really good book that I love because I'm such such an argumentative and dogmatic person in my thinking. You know, I read this really great book called The Righteous Mind this year, which was all about how you come to your kind of beliefs and why Mm. it's so hard to change someone else's beliefs. Um, Mm. And, yeah, and a lot of that was to do with using the language that the person that you're talking to is using and showing them them empathy, you know, and respect. Mm -hmm. You need to have to show a sort of certain sympathy towards it if, if in fact, you're your aim might be to change that view. You have to do it in small stages, in tiny steps, you know. And I found that, you know, things like David Baddiel still engaging with Holocaust deniers and trying to say to them, look, look at the evidence. Yeah. What lies behind that belief? Why have Mm. you chosen? Because all of our beliefs are a choice to a certain extent. Why have you chosen the other, you know? And there's always a reason Mm. why someone has. Well, that's it. We're going to start another podcast, you and I, Rom. <laughs> yes, which will just yeah. be me shouting at climate change deniers. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that one and all other podcasts go into the time capsule. So we have uh, one final item. So this is the bad one. Okay, I didn't really have to think about this at all. I And I, d- I don't know quite know how best to express it because I know technology has done a lot of good things for us and I'm very happy for vaccines and all of that before people start writing in. Um, but I'm <laughs> going to put technology in because I think it's just basically making things worse. <laughs> I have all of these devices. I can't work any of them. Every two years I need to get a new one because it breaks, which is just like, for me... It's such a catastrophic waste, you know, that you need to replace a laptop or, you know, all of the like materials that go into making a phone or a laptop, the waste of it, it just mm. sickens me. The fact that they're kind of made to break, 
I mean, I just find the cynicism of it, you know, the fact that you've made an object. Like once upon a time, people made an object with some pride, didn't they? They wanted like a Ford motor car to run. They didn't plan that it was going to break down in two years so that Mm. you had to buy another one. I can't work anything. Every time I'm supposed to put my password in to anything, (laughs) I mean, what? (laughs) And they all have to be different. I know. And then if you can't remember it and you want to change it, they say, you know, you're using one you've used before. There's a fundamental belief that the human brain is capable of remembering 200 different passwords to all. <laughs> I mean, it's like that they haven't met any human beings. <laughs> I sort of think, do the people at Google and Apple, are they are they an alien species that already arrived like mm. 30 years ago and they... They've actually never interacted with human beings at all, so they don't understand. We can't remember, you know, 60 different passwords. <laughs> they just stand in Apple all day long just saying passwords to each other. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Kettle, 2018. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know yours now. <laughs> no, I know. Kettle, 2018 for all of my websites. Yeah. <laughs> I look forward to people stealing my back catalogue of photos of me wild swimming and reading books in various, <laughs> various beauty spots. I'm absolutely with you, particularly on the fact that technology becomes outdated. I'm thinking of going back to get a reel-to-reel tape recorder. Amazing. A lot of people are buying vinyl again, aren't they? And and cassettes, in fact. Yeah, because it was sort of, a, a, you know, physical. You could, wind, you know, if the tape got screwed up, you could wind it back in and, you know, you could fix, you could fix it. Well, I couldn't. I mean, (laughs) I say these things like, you know, if I had some kind of analog technology, I'd be able to fix, like, you know, me talking about winding the tape back into the cassette. I mean, I wasn't able to do that even when we had that. I mean, really what I'm talking about is a personal deficiency with anything of any kind of practical nature at all. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I still have a problem if you open up a window on your iPhone and then you you want, you don't want to use that window and you want to use another one and you have to kind of go through this little icon that looks like a series of pieces of paper all lined up and you have to open yes. up another window i can't do i can't do it i don't know why i can't do it i'm not capable of of doing it and you know and then it's very difficult because you know i live with you know i'm married you know so i spend my entire life going this thing isn't working <laughs> I'm already a very old woman in that mm. way. And um, I find it very challenging. And, I, you know, if I'm honest, I do just sometimes think and I go like, is this better? Is it better? Is is email better than the system that we had before? You know, like, has it improved people's lives d- d- demonstratively? Mm. Can we Can we point to that evidence? I mean, it's made things faster, but, you know, everybody's got really terrible mental health problems and you know <laughs> I, I I don't I don't know I sometimes I I re- remember my own childhood and I remember I mean don't even get me started on social media like I just I mean that is just the weirdest thing that human mm. beings have ever come up with of all of the weird things they've yes. ever invented will anybody ever open a drawer find an old phone go into it and go oh look at this lovely email yeah whereas a letter from your gran. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there are kind of projects, aren't there? There are places where they're trying to kind of store. I think I remember reading like the New York Public Library or something, or the Library of Congress was trying to store all of, you know, Don DeLillo's emails or something. But, (laughs) you know, the, the thing that's wrong with that is that you write an email in a different way than you write a letter, you know. I had to go away for work a bit now, away from the kids and... You know, I write them letters because I want them to know that it's like I deeply miss them and love them. And you know what I mean? It's an act of of love mm-hmm. in the way that an email never could be. I mean, Don DeLillo's emails are probably just emoticon, emoticon. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not the same. It's not the same act. No. Well, uh, I'm quite happy, particularly to put in technology and your experience of it. My very personal experience of it, because I realise it also does good things and probably saves people's lives but you know I just particularly at the moment I feel a little bit like this was supposed to have made me feel closer to other people Mm -hmm. and you know when you're kind of having a zoom conversation with somebody and the screen is 
pixelating and their voices five minutes behind and <laughs> you know and you're going i can't work out how to get everybody attached to the call lucy's not attached how do we attach lucy you're thinking this isn't human interaction this is not what we intended yeah no <laughs> well i look forward to another time when i can actually see you in the flesh that'd yeah be lovely. that would be nice but until then it's been absolutely lovely to talk to you on on this mad podcast thanks for having me on michael <laughs> which is going to go into your time capsule i Hooray! know i know it would be yeah that would be the one that uh, i listen to and go i'm not sure i do like podcasts <laughs> who's that awful woman who's that awful yeah. woman with a terrible opinion and that old bloke <laughs> i don't know what he's talking about gibberish You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Romola Gary. So that's about it. Feel free to move on to another episode, uh, if you have the time, or you could listen to the next bit, where I tell you things you probably already know. I'm going to try and do it in exactly 30 seconds, so that if you press the little button that skips you forward 30 seconds now, I'm sure you won't miss much. OK, bye. Right, for anyone who stayed with me, you can subscribe to this podcast on Acast or your own favourite podcast provider, or you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook by searching for me or at my TC pod. Ratings and reviews are seen as an indication of the popularity of a show, so please rate and review us. The theme tune is available in full on Spotify under my time capsule theme tune and was composed by Pass the Peas Music. This has been a cast-off production and the producer was John Fenton-Stevens. OK, we're about to be rejoined by the 37 second skippers who will hear me say and that's where I buried all the gold so until next time stay well and be happy and (laughs) don't spend it all at once bye hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.